Hello, and welcome, witches, wizards, and wixes, to part two of Queerly There's Harry Potter September Special. Unfortunately, because I'm speaking to you from the past, I won't have uh, kept up with any of your Twitter mentions or anything like that, but that doesn't mean you should stop talking to me. By all means, at Queerly There, with any concerns you queerly have. Now, uh, same as the previous episode, this episode has content warnings for mentions of pedophilia and rape. Nothing major, just mentioning it in passing. It also contains spoilers, in case you didn't pick up on that by now. And cue the theme song. episode I covered Dumbledore, dormitories, dancing and dress codes. Today's episode we're going to kick things off by talking about Dolores. Ugh, no one should ever say that name that happily. I'm happy to talk to you guys, not to... Anyway, some of Umbridge's educational degrees in the movies forbade boys and girls being within six and then eight inches of each other. They also forbade boys from having their hands in their robes. Why? To prevent dueling? Fidgeting? The other thing? Some of the decrees forbid altering one's physical appearance through magic, and most of them demand proper dress and decorum. The former decrees play into the staircase idea about boys not being able to control themselves, while the latter are a bit rough on any trans or gender non-conforming kids that might exist. Of course, Umbridge is pure evil, and these rules are condemned in text, along with her character as being ridiculous and bigoted, so it could be another case of heteronormativity being criticised. It's interesting to note, though, that Umbridge, being one of the most evil characters, is also the most hyper-feminine. While the heroic women have more traditionally masculine interests, like a love for Quidditch or a passion for studying, girls like Lavender Brown are portrayed as frivolous, air-headed bimbos. Trelawney of the floaty shawls and glitter is flighty, drunk, and unreliable, while McGonagall is stern and severe in her no-nonsense tartan. Petunia is a domestic and nosy housewife. Fleur is seen as shallow and vain, and the weakest player in the Triwizard Tournament. Of course, we have characters like Molly Weasley, who are maternal, domestic, and completely badass. Luna's flighty femininity is shown more positively than Trelawney's. Hermione does enjoy expressing femininely on occasion. There's a wide variety of women and girls who like all kinds of things, stereotypical or not, and most women are nuanced 3D characters, which is one of the things I love about Harry Potter. It's just interesting to note the way that femininity and feminine gender roles being linked with negative traits are reinforced with these side characters, especially in the films. Also, fuck, did I mention the hyper-macho dermstring display in the films with their big wooden staves and their rhythmic thumping? How about the super-floaty French ballerinas of Beau Batons? Yikes. So, love potions. Love potions are clearly a rape drug. Slughorn says it's the most dangerous potion in the room, and the entire story of Merope Gaunt makes this horrifyingly obvious. However, in the sixth film especially, Romilda Vane trying to dose Harry with one is played for laughs when it gets wrong instead. The girls are all shown as being fascinated with love potions. Fred and George sell them, and 
this potion that completely surpasses consent is normalised as a thing that girls are into. In a world where boys can't climb staircases, girls are accessing this super dangerous potion and drugging other students? Side note, Cursed Child, which I have so many issues with. Why would Ron give anyone a love potion as a joke or otherwise, let alone his nephew, having felt the nastiness of its effects himself? Weird. I'm getting off track. Point is, consent is super duper important regardless of gender. Women being portrayed as less threatening than men while using this awful potion because they're women? Heteronormativity at it again. Similarly, Moaning Myrtle invading Harry's privacy. Funny haha, just because she's a girl? Still a violation of consent. Still not cool. Speaking of Moaning Myrtle, the out of order first floor girl's bathroom in Chamber of Secrets. At first, Ron refuses to enter because it's a girl's bathroom. Despite having already proven willingness to enter a girl's bathroom in the context of saving people in the previous book. Thankfully, he gets a grip. They're just toilet facilities and no one is using them after all. But when Percy discovers him exiting the bathroom, he's horrified. Firstly, because it's the girl's bathroom. Secondly, because it's a murder scene. Or a petrification scene? Weird priorities, bro! You might wonder why I think boys being in girls' bathrooms is okay when I previously extolled the virtues of boys respecting privacy and boundaries of others, especially their female peers. Well, bathroom fixtures are just that, and this one doesn't even work. Surprise, you probably have gender-neutral bathrooms in your own home. Heteronormative hang-ups about who pisses where make life damn hard for trans people just trying to exist in public. It sucks that this also seems to be a thing at wizard school. Dumbledore, staircases, bathrooms, educational decrees, Yule Ball, you think I'm done? I'm not. Let's talk magical creatures, to take a leaf from my network pals over at Woe Nessie for a minute. Baby unicorns prefer girls in the world of Harry Potter. This might be because unicorns are traditionally linked with virginity and therefore purity in real world mythology. In fact, the only way to kill a unicorn is to get a virgin, usually depicted as a woman, to calm it and then sneak up and stab it. If this is a trend, I don't know why unicorns still put up with it. Girls being linked with virginity and purity, unicorns being associated with femininity, this all reinforces binary gender roles that we have in our society. Unicorns aren't the only magical creatures that enforce heteronormative ideology, though. The Vela, Bulgarian mascots and relatives of Fleur, affect only and all men at the Quidditch World Cup, barring possibly a few of the experienced older men who stuck their fingers in their ears. Weird, since people of all genders can be attracted to women. Men who aren't attracted to women exist. Asexuals exist. What is it about Vela that has this effect? Are they, like, watered-down succubus? What gives? Remember way back in episode one of Queerly There, where I talked about bi-terrier characters that could easily be bisexual, given in-text evidence regarding their relationships and preferences, but it's never actually stated. Well, there are plenty of characters that could conceivably be queer in the Harry Potter universe, but it's not even considered as a possibility. Unsurprising, given Dumbledore's lack of explicit representation. I asked you on Twitter who you thought might be queer in the Harry Potter universe, and I got some really cool answers. Mostly about Luna and Ginny being a couple, which I love, um, and specifying that Ginny is a massive bisexual. Totally here for it. Also, I had someone mention that they thought Oliver Wood was gay. Why wouldn't he be? 
And I infer from this that Quidditch is a real gay sport. Funnily enough, it's actually named after Queer Ditch March, where it was first played. If that doesn't make Quidditch queer, I don't know what does. I also know from my time on the internet that people often read characters like Dean and Seamus, Lavender and Poverty, or Remus and Cirrus as gay. And I'm a big fan of the popular headcanon that Charlie Weasley is asexual. Again, caveat, ship whoever you want. But queer readings of a text and queer headcanons are super duper important for young baby gays just trying to find their way in the world. These are just a few possible queer readings you could have, and I'm mentioning them here as examples of how easy it would be to include more queer identities in text without having to change the narrative very much at all. I mentioned Remus Lupin very briefly there, don't worry, I love werewolves far too much to leave him out. Werewolves are, according to JK, an AIDS metaphor. A fairly obvious one, too, when you look at how Remus has been infected and, despite living a normal life with the help of medication, still finds it difficult to hold down a job, especially one working with children. Lupin's entire thing is being this real good dude who's perceived socially as monstrous and dangerous around children. Given how AIDS is associated with the queer community, it's a huge part of our collective history, even though any gender or sexuality can be HIV positive. Lupin's ostracization is a solid metaphor, both for how HIV-positive people are treated and how queer people are treated. So wouldn't it have been ultimately more powerful to make him queer? All of the motifs are already there. But then we wouldn't have Tonks and later Teddy, the straw person cries. Well, Scarecrow, bisexuals exist. See episode one. I'm not the first to say this either. But Sirius and Remus have a very close relationship that can easily be read as queer. While I hate to add to the cemetery of dead queers in pop culture, their story is a lot more poignant and meaningful when read romantically. Not to say that friendships can't be either of those things, but in a story where love is one of the most powerful forces ever, it really fries my tomatoes to see some types of love be ignored in favour of the more conventional types of love. Plus, I think romantic love for Sirius provides more of a satisfying explanation for why Lupin delays dating Tonks for so long, he's still grieving, and why he doesn't want to turn Sirius in when he knows he's an animagus with a secret passage knowledge, and he may have even seen him on the Marauder's map. Contrast this with his friend, or former friend, Peter, who he immediately wants to confront, murder, maybe, <laughs> and then turn him in. It's clear that this is a very different kind of relationship that he has with his friend Peter to his friend Sirius. So Lupin's one of my favourite queer readings in Harry Potter. Um, but, you know, this is pretty fun. Let's keep going. Who else can I give a queer reading to? Well, here's the obvious. Harry Potter, the boy who lived in a closet for 11 years. I know, very obvious joke. But think about it. The kid is already an outcast in so many areas of his life. He already feels simultaneously isolated and under a spotlight. His love life is under a microscope. He's at odds with his otherwise nuclear family blood relations, and found family is super important to him. Lots of queer kids can relate to that. Further, Harry has crushes on Quidditch players like Cho and Ginny. Why not Cedric too? There's not a whole lot of difference in the way he describes them at all. In fact, he's distracted when Cedric walks past and constantly describes him as handsome. Dudley even mocks Harry for his PTSD dreams about Cedric's death, calling Cedric Harry's boyfriend. In context, these taunts are incredibly shitty, and Harry is clearly traumatised, 
But I think the depth of feeling Harry has for Cedric is apparent, and it would have been very neat to explore Harry having a crush on another boy. And I'll say it again for the straw men in the back. Bisexuals exist! I also love the idea of a bisexual Harry because he's got an invisibility cloak, and if that just ain't the perfect metaphor, I don't know what to tell you. Another character that I personally read as queer is Draco Malfoy. Rowan! Everyone you're giving queer readings to is dead or evil! That's so problematic! Yeah, you're not wrong. But you gotta remember, the heteronormativity in our society contributes hugely to the tragic endings of queer characters and their vilification. Only heterosexual good guys get happy endings. So, is it any wonder that it becomes easier to see ourselves in monsters? It's the cultural script we've been given. Why do you think the Babadook is a gay icon now? Back to Draco. I'm not trying to redeem the shitty behaviours or anything, but I think a queer reading of Draco is something people could relate to. If the wizarding world is heteronormative, pure-blood wizards are especially so, I would imagine, they're obsessed with carrying on magical bloodlines, so I can see how queer purebloods would be pressured to stay closeted or face familial exile. Draco as a character is already pulled between expectations of what his father expects him to be, and he mimics him with his pure-blood values and his toxic bigotry. The desire not to kill people and wanting to save himself and his family's lives create this tension. The evidence for a queer reading is there, too. Draco is obsessed with Harry ever since his first overture of friendship was rejected. He talks about him constantly. How do you think Dobby might have heard of Harry's greatness, huh? He taunts him, he gets up in his personal space, he makes badges about him in the fourth year? Plus, the kid has some fabulous swagger. Let me be absolutely clear though, I do not think it's useful to read all homophobes and bigots as closeted queers and thusly blaming us for our own oppression. Nor do I think bullying, obsessing, and stalking a crush is healthy, admirable, or good. It's awful behaviour from a pretty awful kid. It's more that I can see some clear parallels in the tension between Draco and his family's beliefs and his own self-perceived weakness at not being able to be who his family wants him to be. There's lots of different queer readings you could make in Harry Potter, and lots of storylines queer people could relate to. Some more problematic than others, I'll admit, but I hope I've shown that whether you agree with them or not, there's plenty there. But because of heteronormativity, they remain ignored and unexplored. There's lots of unnecessary heteronorms about how boys and girls are supposed to act, some of which feel especially forced in this context because there's no solid in-world reason for them to be there. Wizarding society is different from muggle society, so why should these heteronormative standards be replicated? These stories are so formative and powerful for so many young people. Harry Potter is about love overpowering bigotry, inequality, and evil. It's bizarre that queer love, with its history and its community so intrinsic to fighting for those things, just isn't there at all. In our current political climate, where it feels like the world is all going to shit and you and your friends might not make it out alive, we need stories like that. We need fantasy escapes. We need to see people like us. We need a magical hero to help us believe we can overcome and it'll be okay. It's hard for the generation that grew up with Harry Potter to relate to a happy ending where everyone is married to their heterosexual childhood sweethearts, formed a nice nuclear family, and all was well. This is the year that Harry and Ginny drop their kids off at the Hogwarts Express. And all isn't well. You know what I can relate to? <laughs> Struggling to make rent in a shitty too cold flat. Coping with mental illness and grief. 
being ostracized for gender and sexual identities, being looked over and ignored, but also drawing strength from the support of my found family, knowing that love can do so much good in the world. Creativity and guts can help me overcome obstacles, and there is magic in the world. We need to look after the disenfranchised in our societies. These are lessons that Harry Potter taught me. And if imagining these beloved characters as having experiences like yours brings you joy, fucking do it. It undermines heteronormativity, it builds creative and loving communities. Let's get our grubby gay hands in there and queer it up. Whew, that was a lot to get through. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to talk more about this episode, my queer Harry Potter headcanons, or just queerness in pop culture in general, feel free to chat to me on Twitter at QueerlyThere. I'd love to talk with you. Also, if you want my bibliography for this or any of my previous episodes, just ask and I'll be happy to provide. I have a few recommendations for queer stuff you can check out as well. Firstly, my beloved friend and theme song performer Danny Yurikova recently starred in a lesbian web series musical entitled Happy Playland by the Candle Wasters. That group does a lot of cool queer feminist stuff, including a queer modern version of Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream called Bright Summer Night. Watch both Bright Summer Night and Happy Playland, and you might even spot me as an extra if you look real hard. If you want Harry Potter-related queerness, check out Jackson Bird and the Harry Potter Alliance on YouTube. They're all about making activism accessible through storytelling. If you want queer entertainment, check out the Mischief Managers. They're a queer Swedish cosplay group that my friends will tell you I have difficulty shutting up about at the moment. They do lots of skits that are kind of like if the Marauders or the Golden Trio were all queer and had YouTube channels. They also give talks about queerness and heteronormativity in Harry Potter, so if you like this one, check them out. I'd be remiss too if I didn't mention Rainbow Rowell's book, Carry On, which I'm told is essentially the story of Harry and Draco, but if they were actually dating. I haven't finished it yet, but from what I have read, I've enjoyed it. While you're all deeply immersed in the quality content I've just thrown at you, go download some of the other podcasts we have at Not Safe For Work Podcast Network, uh, write a review, join our mailing list, all that good stuff. It's thanks to Saf and the crew there that I can do this show. So if you like this and want me to keep doing it, show them some love. Also, thanks again to Bo Moore for Queerly There's excellent album art. That's more than enough from me. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. Tune in next time. Girls like Lavender Buck. Of course, we have characters like Molly Weasley, who are maternal, domestic, and completely blad ass? Blad ass. Portrayed. Bad, bad, fuck! Similarly. 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 Fuck. I can't speak English. Similarly. 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 The word has lost all meaning. Why do I always burp more when I'm podcasting? I swear I don't burp as much in real life. Fleur Delacour. Delacour? Delacour. Delacour. Fleur Delacour. It really fries my tomatoes to see some types of love be ignored in favour of the more conventional... Conventional? That's a new word. Tune in next time. I need a better sign-off. How should I sign off good? Oh, I forgot to mention Harry and his invisibility clock. Da 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 da